morning, typical Mission Sunday. Um, but it's just a blessing to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning and, and to worship together. Um, I've so much enjoyed the series that we've been doing on Wednesday night, been preparing again myself to speak in a couple weeks on that. And there's a freedom in worship when it's done the right way. To have the prophetic word go forth this morning, to be able to just to be together as God's people in the midst of a very trying time, not just for our community, but for the world. I know that God is on the throne. And even though there might be times, as Emma so eloquently said already, there may be times that we don't sense that the way we'd like to. We know that he is working, that he's already victorious, and he's working for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So this morning, as you consider your your tithes and offerings, as you prepare whatever it is you would give unto the Lord, I want to encourage you to know that you're giving into a good storehouse. The Malachi chapter 3 says that God will open up the windows of heaven that you won't have room enough to receive. And if, if you come to the business meeting or if you've been around for any period of time, you know that the way we do things here at Bethel is there's so many different things that you're giving to when you give into uh, this specific church. But on top of that, our church is something that is we've begun to do the past few years is faithfully to the penny tithe 10% to missions of what you give just in your general tithes and offerings. So know that we are looking to be faithful in the same way that you give unto the Lord consistently, not, not in a way that we don't like, have a sacrificial nature to it. So I challenge you to consistently stir up in your heart what it is that you can give to the Lord sac- sacrificially that we could look like the widow woman as well. But know that we are also giving away 10% of whatever it might be. that. You, and you're curious as to what we give to. You can go to the missions uh, table right there by the map in the foyer. All the different missions and countries are listed there. But know that as you're giving, you're giving to lots of different things. And I know Dan in the past has been very generous with the missions committee uh, to give to specific needs as they arise, different ones in the local community uh, that have a need, have something particular going on, and we fit something that you may not see out there in that pamphlet. There are things that happen beyond the typical benevolence of the church that goes forth. So be considerate of that. And as additional this morning, if you would give to a missions offering as well, that goes into a general fund that is something that is above and beyond what we're talking about. It goes together to make up this 10%. Um, just, just think about all these things uh, as you're doing this, to give specifically to missions today that you would give as well as your tithes and offerings. And then beyond that, I have the pleasure of introducing Colin and Madison. If y'all go ahead and make your way up here, uh, is a blessing to... Introduce them this morning. Colin, if you don't know, uh, grew up in the church. I believe Tammy said he was about three years old or so, which obviously he definitely predated my time coming here in 2011. Uh, And it's a blessing to have walked into a church as a young person myself to know that I was going into ministry and to have someone like this who was a high schooler at the time in the youth group and was probably, I guess, my first official kind of discipleship relationship with any kind of longevity. And uh, this is also a good storehouse. It's been a blessing to see them, to be able to send them as a church as they went off to college, and he met this lovely young lady, and uh, they are now once already going to Mali and now returning again eventually, and I won't steal y'all's thunder too much. They have a great opportunity for us today as a church that, again, is, is above and beyond what we're talking about with our typical missions. Y'all welcome them. Good morning, Bethel. Thank you for having us here today. Um, to share with you guys. We wanted to share two things with you guys. One, an update on our ministry and our our next steps. Um, And the second thing is to share an opportunity with you guys to see what it is we're going to be doing and to join with us in that. And so 
Um, for the update, um, many of you know that Madison and I were both called into ministry in college through Chi Alpha, a campus ministry at NC State. Um, ever since graduating, we have been back and forth between working with Chi Alpha, that, that campus ministry with college students, and Mali, West Africa, working with the Bambara people, which is an unreached people group, meaning that they have very little access to the gospel and very few Christians among them. And so this past year, we got the opportunity to go back for three months and check out a team there that has uh, just recently started and has um, chosen their focus to be a, a particular village in Mali. Um, and thankfully, when we got back there, so many things came back so easily. Um, yeah, just cultural things. The biggest thing being language. We were away for a year and a half, but we so easily got back into the language. And even just in that three months, we saw so much more fruit and success even than we did in, in the year prior. Um, just deeper relationships and, and more chances to share the gospel. Uh, and so when we came back, we were praying about what it is we should do next. And we just kept thinking that, you know, if, if God could do all of that in just three months, what he could, could he do with a little bit more time? And so, um, yeah, we're, we're excited to announce that our next step is to uh, commit to a two-year term in Mali. And thank you. We'll, we'll probably be uh, leaving toward the end of this year to do that. And we're super excited about that. Working with the same team and with the same people group, the, the Bambara people. Uh, and so if, if you our biggest need for that um, is for that two years is a, a $20,000 cash budget, which sounds scary, but you know, we're, we're believing God can help us with that. And so if you want to partner with us in that way, um, just let us know and we can let you know how to do that. Um, and then secondly, we have a really awesome opportunity that you guys can join in what we're doing. Um, first of all, we just wanted to say, we believe that it's uh, the call of everybody to be a part of, of God's global mission for the nations. And so uh, we have a short video clip that just describes really well um, some of the things we've learned about a calling over the years. And so we're going to play that, and then Madison will give you some of the specifics on, on our new opportunity. A lot of times I said, how do you know that you were called to be a missionary? And for me, my thought was, if this is real, why am I going to do anything else with my life? I mean, if I really believe what I say I believe, why am I going to waste my time doing anything else? You know, do I'll do anything. And, and what, the, what was crazy is I still have that attitude. I'll do anything. I don't care. I'll do it for Jesus. I didn't particularly feel called to this life. I didn't feel called to live in a hammock or to sweat every waking moment of your life or to be in situations that are dirty and filthy. I never planned on being with people that were under, undereducated. And we rode up into this village that we had not even planned on visiting. And we rode into the village. And when we got there, there were three old women that were there waiting on us. And one of these women was just tears rolling down her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, because when we were little girls, we became Christians in our village. And their village was all the way in another province. They said, we became Christians in that village. And, and there was a church there. But our husbands came and they took us. And they brought us here, and we, we don't have a Bible. We do not have any other Christians around. There's no one else around. And so we have been praying. The three of us have been praying for 20 years for God to send somebody. I'm laying there, and I'm praying, and I'm saying, God, I know that you have someone. And I was praying Luke 10, too. I said, God, 
send laborers in the harvest field. I, Lord, send workers, send people to come and plant churches among these people. God, send a man, send a woman, send young people. But God asked me one question. He said, but if you don't, then who will? He said, you've seen the sights, you've seen the sounds, you see the need, and if you don't do it, then who am I going to get to do it? That was in 1998, and I said, okay, God, I'll do it. And in 2000, what was crazy is uh, I met Leah. I remember thinking to myself, God, I'm this close to getting married. I will not tell her that I'm called to the jungle because she will never marry me. I feel like God just said, you don't have to, I'm telling her. And that day, I'm in one village and she's in another village. And when I get into that village, I'm looking around and I know that's where my heart is. And God says, I'm telling her right now. And I remember walking back into a hotel room that night. And when I walked into the hotel room, she's sitting on, a, on the edge of the bed. And she said, I need to tell you something. I said, no, let me tell you. God told you that we need to move here and that we're supposed to reach the shore people. And she starts crying. I said, yes, that's what we're going to do. You know, so many times we live our life wondering if we're called to do something. And I think it's the wrong question to ask. I think the question that we have to ask, are we not called to do something? Because I think Jesus is pretty clear. We're called. We don't have an option. We cannot deny the Great Commission. We have to do something. The need is the call. And we got to respond. We're so concerned about getting all of our ducks in a row. Those people that are waiting to do that are never going to do anything for God. Realistically, the burning bush only comes to tell us not to do something. And anything else, guess what we have to do? We have to respond. God doesn't have a plan B. He has one plan, and we're all part of it. Stop trying to get everything, all your ducks in a row, and make it all happen. Stop trying to have all the answers. If you don't want me to do this, then send me a burning bush. If you don't want me to respond to this need, tell me that, Lord. Tell me that. Some of you have pretexts for obedience. You know what that means? That means you say, okay, God, when I have this much money and when I have this and when I have that and when I have this, then I'm going to do something for you. Partial obedience is complete disobedience. When we obey God partially in our lives, it's the same as if we were totally disobedient to the Lord. What are the things you're trying to get in order so that God can use you? I'm just ignorant enough <laughs> to believe that if he says it, then I can do it. It doesn't mean I'm going to have success, but it means I'm going to have his blessing, which is much more important than success. What a message, right? Um... We believe in something that has been kind of hammered into us through Chi Alpha is that our default should be to go. Our default should be to give generously, to pray for the nations, and to welcome them into our, to our lives, our homes, our communities, and our churches. Um, that that should be 
our sole purpose as followers of Jesus, that we should be going and, and making it a, a point in our lives to live for eternity, not just for the next paycheck or for this American dream that we've all been taught to pursue, which is good. Um, but there's something of much more importance, of much more value out there. And so uh, we wanted to show you this video because it says it so much better than I can, <laughs> the importance of, of putting God first. Um, and so we have an opportunity for you guys. You might be thinking, well, I can't go anywhere. Haven't you heard there's this thing called the coronavirus out there? Uh, and we have, but as global workers ourselves and with other people in our movement, we just, we rely so much on short-term teams and people coming out to visit us because they bring fresh vision, fresh encouragement, and just they have eyes to see things that we can't after being on the field for a long time. And so we decided um, as a movement with Chi Alpha and college students that we couldn't go until coronavirus ended before having these short-term trips start back up. And so our movement came up with something called a virtual mission trip. We call it a VMT for short. And when I first heard about it, I thought it sounded very lame. Like I, I, did, I would rather go on an airplane and travel somewhere and see the sights for myself. Um, but I'm actually leading one of these trips right now with our students at NC State. We, we're going to the Middle East. We're, we're there right now this weekend. <laughs> and um, our students have been able to hear from missionary workers. They've been able to hear Muslim background believers' testimonies of what it's like to leave their faith and come to know the Lord. We even got to visit a mosque in Raleigh yesterday and, and watch a prayer time and hear why they believe what they believe. So um, it's so possible to have an experience that marks you for life, even without ever leaving Durham, North Carolina. And so we have an opportunity to tell you about today um, where you can come to Mali with us. So it's a little bit different for everybody, but we want to invite Bethel to come with us starting not this Monday, but next you're all invited to come to Mali. <laughs> and what that looks like is every day, Monday through Friday, there's going to be a Zoom call with workers on the ground. Wednesday is our day, so I'm sorry we're still in North Carolina, but we get to share a bit about our experience there. Um, but there will be a Zoom call each day. There will be videos you can watch on your own time that give you a little bit of insight into the language that we're learning and the food that they eat. There's a day on culture and what everyday life looks like. There's a day on what our team does and why we go and why it's important that we reach Mali for Jesus. And then there's a day all about Islam so you can learn um, their belief system and just be better informed to pray. Um, with each of these days comes a challenge, whether it's to make a meal like you would have in Mali or to eat with your fingers or to try and wear uh, appropriate clothing. You can be as involved and intentional in this trip as you are able if there's a day you can't come. It's the beauty of a virtual trip. You can kind of make it what, what you want. And so we will be doing that every day starting on the 15th, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And then we have a final wrap-up call that Saturday at 10 a.m. where everybody will join on the call, every worker on the ground. And you can just get together and ask questions and process the things that you've seen and you've heard and you've learned. And we think this is a great opportunity for you guys to come and see what it is that we'll be doing. Um, our whole team can give you a little glimpse of what life is like there so much better than we can in a brief window on a Sunday morning and you'll be better informed on how to pray for our people and we're hoping that you'll just be forever changed and that the minute that borders open and corona dies forever that you guys can come visit us and that we can host a trip um, 
of you guys from Bethel Christian Center to come and live with us and, and to walk in our shoes. So if you're interested in coming along with us, we're out in the lobby. Uh, if you sign up, it's only $30, which is much cheaper than a plane ticket and a yellow fever shot and a visa and all of those things. And you get an experience box that comes with a devotional book that just gives you ways to pray for unreached people groups in Africa. Uh, there are 867 unreached people groups, but this book particularly highlights 30 of them and informs you how to pray and just speaks to um, our, our values as a movement and why we do what we do. So there's a devotion book in there. You have some fabric. You have Malian tea and Ferranto, which is a spicy pepper that Malians put on everything. You get to put that on your food this week. Just some other little trinkets and goodies from the ground. Colin and I brought them back in our suitcase when we came back this past December. So we're excited to give them out and to show you a little bit of what life is like. But we will be in the lobby if you have any questions afterwards about the trip or about us going for two years. And we are just so grateful for this church and your partnership with us this whole time. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. We invite you to stop in the foyer and to visit with... Uh, Colin Madison, would you bow your heads as we pray at this time? Father, we thank you for two young people that have been called to go and minister to the unreached. We thank you for Colin and what you've placed on his heart, for Madison, for the vision that they have. And I pray, God, that you'd speak to people. Maybe there's someone here that could give $1,000 to them. Maybe 5000 Maybe pay the whole $20,000. Or whatever, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts that they might minister to them and bless, dear God, financially. Bless for their prayers, support. And again, thank you for this young couple and for the call and the vision, the vision that's upon their heart. In Christ's name. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to I love him so. stand and sing it. God is so good. Sing it out. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so God answers prayers. Sing it. God answers prayers. 
God answers prayer. God answers prayer. He's so good to. I want to hear you sing it. I love him so. Lift your hearts. I love his soul. Sing it out. I love him so. Do you love him this morning? He's so good. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Oh, yes, he is. That's beautiful. Sing it. He's so good. Now one more time. God is so good. Sing it out. God He's so good. God is so God is so good. He's so good to me. Would you praise God with a clap offering today? Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Oh, you're already seated. If you have your Bibles, we'll have the scripture on the screen. We're going to be preaching from Jonah. Now, I know that's a whale of a story. But it's more than just a fish story. Let's listen to what the great orator, pastor, writer says, Chuck Swindoll. Who hasn't heard of Jonah? The blunt of numerous jokes, the classic example of a disobedient rebel, Jonah stands in many ways as the best known of all the prophets. His story, he goes on to say, uh, familiar to young and old alike, has been proclaimed, analyzed, criticized, assaulted for centuries. To many scholars, the book of Jonah is merely a myth, little more than a humorous legend that originated in the mind of a creative soul in antiquity. Nevertheless, it remains to this day preserved and inspired by God. It serves a practical food for thought for each generation. And to the surprise of many, it is the clearest revelation 
of the missionary heart of our God in an Old Testament book. Jonah is not the story of a great fish, but rather of a nation in desperate need of deliverance and a messenger who was reluctant to go and announce the truth of God. I look at this book and it's interesting, just four short chapters. And I thought to myself, what do I want to say about Jonah? And I prepared a message. Jonah running from God. Jonah running to God. Jonah running with God. And then finally, like most of all, Jonah running ahead of God. And I said, well, that's a good outline. I found that outline somewhere. I said, that's, and I may preach that the next time I preach. But I said, I want to know more about this man, Jonah. I want to know more about this book, Jonah. He wrote it himself. And I began to do some research on Jonah. And did you know the Jewish people, their most holy day is what? Yom Kippur. That's the day of atonement that they celebrate once a year. That the Jewish people, that they uh, celebrate the priest as he would go behind the Holy of Holies and there he would offer up a sacrifice. The day, they say, of atonement. They do all kinds of things. They fast. They drink, not, uh, they eat nor drink. And they pray a lot. And did you know it's the only book that they read during that special holiday, Yom Kippur, is Jonah. I said, wow. Boy, that is interesting. Of all the books, and it's a short book, but of all the books in the Old Testament that the Jewish people read, is the book of Jonah. Why? Why would they read every year, in the afternoon it is, this very special book? I'll give you four reasons, and it's from a rabbi at the end of the sermon. But first of all, let's read three verses of Scripture. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amtei, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Tarshish was in present-day Spain. It was the furthest away that Jonah could look to go. And he went to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down and noticed in this teaching, maybe this week or next week, he went down, down is used quite a bit. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. 
I uh, want you to notice your outline, if you will. In fact, we want you to have an outline. Brother Chip will make sure, Brother Steve will make sure that you have one. Uh, keep it, fold it, put it in your Bible or your notes, if you will. But notice the introduction on the outline as we go. Many adults know about the story of Jonah, but many know only that Jonah got swallowed by a whale. In fact, Scripture says it was a big fish. I read the other day in, what, it's 1891? Uh, off the coast of uh, wherever. That this, 1891, that they were, uh, had this large whale they were harpooning and trying to get this whale. And there was two boats there. The whale knocked one boat over. There were two men in that boat, and they went down. One man was found. He had drowned. Two days later, they went back, and they actually caught the whale, killed the whale, brought it to shore, cut it open, and one of those men was in that whale. Alive. Unconscious, but alive. So someone says, I don't believe this. Well, I believe it because it's in the Bible. If the Bible said that Jonah swallowed a whale, I would have believed it. Because I believe the Bible. But you notice that what they didn't know, people don't know, is the reason of the moral to this timeless tale. God commissioned him, Jonah, to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. At first, unwilling to make the journey northeast to deliver God's message, Jonah turned and aimed for the furthest westward point known to him, and that was Tarshish. Are we like Jonah? I, I could not help but think it's, it's Colin and Madison were up here. What a timely, timely time for them to be here. They're not like Jonah. You know, I, I can't imagine the hardship of being in that place. Sure, there's the blessings of the Lord. Sure, God protects them. Sure, they're ministering to a lot of people that's never heard the gospel. But can you imagine the sacrifice this young couple has made and will make, Jonah refused to go. The book of Jonah stands as an important link in the prophetic chains, giving readers a glimpse of Christ's death and resurrection hundreds of years before they actually occurred. When we find that, of course, Jesus Christ. He said, as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. And that was, speak, was speaking of his burial and of his resurrection. I want us to notice, first of all, this. Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Why was he so set on not? Was he afraid? Nineveh, if you notice in your notes, Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian nation or the uh, great city in Assyria, Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, Nineveh were very cruel people, wicked people. Was he afraid? I'm not too sure that that's the reason that Jonah was so reluctant. 
a wicked and cruel and brutal people, the prophet Nahum describes them as lions tearing and feeding on the nations. Uh, can you imagine men caught? Now, Nahum is, two, is a, a, a book beyond Jonah. And Nahum, the book of Nahum, is a sequel to Jonah. It's hard to read Jonah without reading the book of Nahum. And neither one of them are very long. Micah is between those two uh, books. And Nahum was specifically called to warn and to speak of judgment against Nineveh. It's very interesting. Study it. It's very interesting. Nahum was sent with a message of divine retribution to Nineveh. Uh, one hundred years later, uh, Jonah's message was a message of mercy to the people of Nineveh. Nahum's message was a message of judgment to the people of Nineveh. Notice Roman numeral number two, Jonah's reluctance. Uh, God called him and he runs. God spoke to him to go and speak or to prophesy to the people of Nineveh and he takes off the other way. God was telling Jonah to take a message of repentance to an empire. Now here are the reasons I believe that Jonah was so reluctant to go to an empire destined to destroy his own nation and destroy his own people. Wow. God, you're asking me to go and preach to these evil people, people that would destroy the nation of Israel. And their goal was to destroy. But notice number two. He knew that if they repented, then God might spare them and they would remain a looming threat. A looming threat. Uh, I think I have it in four and two. Notice Jonah four and two. This is after he went. And this is after the nation or the people of Nineveh repented. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know, notice what Jonah says, that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in love and kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Somebody say amen. That's the kind of God that Jonah served. That's the kind of God that you and I serve. And so he was angry. We'll get into that maybe the next time. He was very angry. Because he knew, God, if I go and preach to these people in Nineveh, your mercy is going to be extended to them. You're going to forgive them. And there's a possibility they will turn and turn on Israel. And their repentance, yes, they repented. We'll get into that. Yes, they repented. But their, their repentance was short-lived because they did 
Once again, after a hundred years, generation after generation, they turn from God. But then Jonah wanted Nineveh destroyed, not saved. He didn't want mercy extended. Do you have any enemies? What's your feeling towards your enemies? Especially when you kneel down to pray. Do you want them to be blessed? Do you say, Lord, bless my enemies with a heart that is really tender and desiring for them to be blessed? I think it's important for us to realize God loves everyone. So I know some. I can think of some people, boy, if I could call fire down on them, sometimes I would. And some of them are in Washington, D.C. I have to make myself pray. And I want to have the right spirit and the right attitude when I pray for them. Notice God's interest in all people. God's undeserving grace is extended to the undeserving. And there, I know, and you know, there's a lot of undeserving people. They don't deserve as far as I'm concerned, but yet God's love is extended to them. Foe Jehovah was working, and listen, this is important, primarily through the Hebrew nation. Nevertheless, his compassion for all the people was abundantly manifested. Abundantly manifested. God showed mercy to them. Even though they would actually catch people and skin them alive just to watch them suffer. All the tragic and things that they did to people, ruthless, cruel People. God desired to teach this prophet a lesson concerning the value of man. Number three, nevertheless, or I'm sorry, never underestimate the, the Lord's mercy and his willingness to forgive. Most of us remember the Apostle Paul and know of the Apostle Paul. Before he, his name was Paul, his name was Saul. And Saul set out to destroy the church. He set out to imprison Christians. He would bust in those doors today if he was alive and like Saul was. And he would have you and I arrested, carried off to prison, and some of us killed. Can you imagine the hate that was in that man's heart? Can you imagine the cruelty? And as on his way to Damascus, God said, okay, uh, it's okay, man. And he slapped him off of his horse. Bound. He fell to the ground, saw a light, and there he found Jesus Christ. Well, his reputation went out all over. And Christian people were afraid of him. They didn't want to have anything to do with Saul. But look at Acts chapter 9. And when this is after he had come to the Lord. This is after he was trying to fellowship with the disciples. 
This is after that he had got all of that stuff behind him under the blood. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. He was cruel. Are you reluctant to fellowship people? Are you reluctant to have anything to do with your enemy? Are you reluctant to have anything to do with those on the other side of the aisle, so to speak? Can we go across the aisle and really and truly love someone, pray for them? Can we go across the water and reach out our hand and our love to people that we don't know, can't speak hardly their language? So these people, these disciples... Was afraid of him. But, I love the word but. Look at verse 27 of Acts chapter 9. Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine if it had not been for that loving, kind-hearted Barnabas that saw would have never perhaps been able to do what he did. But Barnabas, an encourager, someone that trusted God, reached out to Saul, took him in, brought him to those disciples, and he became the great man of God. Don't think anyone, Saul was not too hard to change. Nebuchadnezzar was not such a ruthless king ungodly man that God couldn't get a hold of him. God can get a hold of anybody if you'll just, if you'll just pray for him. Believe God for him. Let God send you and I this coming week, listen, on a divine mission to touch somebody's life that perhaps you thought would have never, never been able to come to Jesus Christ. Most of you, if not all of you, I hope not, maybe all, but maybe there's some that have not heard the story that I tell. Before I became a minister, I worked at a public place. And I worked with a man named Norman. Norman had a lot of hate in his heart. And because I had a testimony and I would speak of Jesus Christ, he hated me. We would work together and he just didn't love me at all. And I would continue to minister and speak to Norman and love Norman. And uh, he never would warm up to me. And I left that place of business, became a minister. Years later, I got a call from a lady. And she said, Pastor, uh, I'm Norman Canada's wife. And I'd like you to come to our house if you would. I said, okay. She told me at that time that Norman was dying. He had cancer and he was dying. And, and she, he wanted me to come because he wanted me to preach his funeral. So I went and visited Norman. He was open. He would smile. He welcomed me. That old barrier had been broken down. The seed that we'd sown into his life became alive. And it began to changed Norman Canada's life. He said, would you pray for me? I said, I sure will. And he said, Pastor, would you preach my funeral? I said, yes, Norman, I will. 
And I preached his funeral in Sunday Hall. This has been many, many years ago. And I sung a song when I'm gone, the last mile of the way. And you would think that's the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Before we built the sanctuary in 97, I was in the fellowship hall and I was working and doing some things in there. A young man came, parked under the carport and came in the door. He walked up to me. He said, you don't know me, do you? I said, no, I don't. He said, I'm Norman Canada's son. He said, I want you to know that God called me to preach. I've been to seminary. And now I'm preaching the gospel for the Lord. You never know. It may be someone that just hates you. There was one time he told me, we were out working, he and I were there by ourselves. He said, I'll take you in the back room and mop up the floor with you. Wow. He could have done it too. <laughs> but he turned to Christ. You never know the seed that you'll sow into a person's life. Look at number four. People can change. I love John Maxwell's statement. People change when they hurt bad enough, they have to change. People can change when they learn enough that they want to change. And people can change when they receive enough that they are able to change. People can change. People can change. My brother, which many of you knew, he started drinking at a very, very young age. He was a teenager. He started drinking. And he just spent his whole life drinking alcohol. That was what he lived to do. But my mother was a praying mother, and she would not give up. And she prayed for her sons, Junius and myself, and her daughter. Junius was still in sin all those years. There were times when I had to go get him out of jail. There were times when he would spend overnights, and times when he would... Just lay on, lay on the side of the road. I could tell you stories about Junius Westbrook. How God, mama's prayers protected that man and would not let Satan take his life. Mama died and he was still lost. But listen, when my mother died, her prayers did not die. The seed that she'd sown did not die. It was still alive. God protected him. And about 20 years ago, he walked down that aisle, knelt in that altar, and gave his heart to the Lord. And you're talking about a dedicated man to God. He was dedicated to God. Let me tell you, no one's too far away from God. People can change. They may not change until they hurt bad enough, until they learn enough that they want to change. Until they receive enough, until they're able to change. Nineveh's repentance releases God's mercy. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. So the people of Nineveh believed. After Jonah went and preached to him, went down through Nineveh three days that large city preaching the gospel, preaching about the, the God that he served. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed the fast. Notice what happened. Proclaimed the fast, put on sackcloth or burlap from the greatest to the least of them. 
Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, listen, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, which was a, a sign of repentance and humility. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh that the decree of the king, his noble saying, oh, by the uh, decree of the king, notice, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let them let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry. Listen, when have, when have you seen someone repenting before God? But notice what he says. Notice what he says. And cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from, here it is, the violence that's in his hands. They were, these were a violent people. Yet they heard the message of Jonah. Yet they repented of their sins and said, turn from the violence in their hand. Who can tell, he said, if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then notice verse 10. Then God saw their what? Works. Then God saw their work that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Somebody say praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Brother Matt, four reasons why that the Jewish people read Jonah on the day of atonement. It is so powerful to me. I mean, I, I just read this and I said, Lord, this speaks to my heart. Number one, we read, and this is a, a priest. It's writing this. We read Jonah to be reminded that if God could forgive Nineveh, of course, God can forgive us. Aren't you glad? If He can forgive a wicked nation, if He can forgive a wicked man like Nebuchadnezzar or Saul or someone perhaps you know, He can forgive us. Number two, the second rabbinic response is related to Yom Kippur's most profound theme. What is it the most profound theme? Repentance. The deeds of the people of Nineveh in repenting are a paradigm of repentance, a model for us. What I read into your hearing from Jonah, them repenting and what that king said, they read it to get that into their mind and into their head about Repentance. Third, the book of Jonah serves as a reminder that the entire world and all its natural forces are in God's hand. No matter where you go. Somali or next door. Notice what he says, they say here. And we'll get to this later on in the next sermon. The wind, the plant, 
The plant came up over Jonah. The wind, the plant, the seed, the great fish are all vehicles of God in this story. These all serve to reinforce the statement in Psalms chapter 24, which states the earth is the Lord's. Well, this says God's. That just, that just does something for me. The earth is God's. Every tree, everything about the earth is God's. And then number four, another reason why they read the book of Jonah on the day of atonement in the afternoon as we read Jonah being answered from the belly of the fish, we are reminded that we can be saved even as the day begins to wait. Aren't you glad that God will hear you? The devil will tell you you've been too bad. You're too far away from God. God is angry with you. But let me tell you, God is standing with open arms to hear whoever pray. The man that went to the temple, the tax collector, he felt so unworthy. He felt God can't forgive. The Bible says he goes to the corner in the temple, beats his breast. He don't pray a great prayer like the Pharisees prayed. Why did he pray? This is all you got to do this morning. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, if you're witnessing witnessing to someone and they don't know Christ. This man stood in the corner, head bowed. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. If God can forgive the Ninevites, he can forgive whoever. If God can forgive Saul, he can forgive whoever. If God can forgive a Junius Westbrook, he can forgive whoever. Doesn't matter how ungodly, doesn't matter how far away from God, he'll forgive you. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time that you have spoken to our hearts, your word. Thank you, Lord, for the great, great example of this prophet. Thank you for the example of Nineveh that repented in sackcloth and ashes, humbled themselves near God and was spared judgment, devastation that would come on their city. Thank you for this example. Thank you, Lord, for sending us this week. Lord, speak to all of our hearts this week in this place today of a specific divine appointment that we may lead someone to Jesus Christ. Reach out to the lost, the unsaved, the unchurched, the unreached. In Jesus' name, if you have a need, feel free to do what this song says, would you?